Hey, onesies, Josh Williams here, and thanks for checking out the One Man Podcast. There's now over 200 episodes and dozens of bonus interviews, all of which are available at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, Google Podcasts, and many more. And you know what? If you don't have any of those apps, no big deal, because you can listen anytime at onemanpodcast.com. So be sure to subscribe, because it's always free, and there's a new episode out every Wednesday. And while you're at it, leave a review. It's a great way to help the podcast, and it doesn't cost you a thing. Follow One Man Podcast on all the major socials, and you'll get bonus content and pictures, fun stuff for yourself. And finally, if you have something that you want read on the show, send it to contact at onemanpodcast.com, because if you send it, I'll read it on an upcoming episode. Thanks so much for listening, and I hope you enjoy. What's up, everybody? This is DJ Demers. I'm K. Trevor Wilson. Hey, it's Krista Allen. Hi, this is Rick Mercier. What's up, guys? This is Paul Verzi, and you are listening to the One Man Podcast. Yeah! My name is Josh Williams, and welcome to the One Man Podcast, episode number 355 for Wednesday, February 21st, 2024. How's it going, onesies? You guys having the best week ever? Is existence just crushing it for you? I hope you are. I hope you're having the best. I just hope you're doing the best, right? If you're being present, how are you right now? I hope it's great. What is this thing that that you've stumbled across the one man podcast? Well, it's me, comedian, brand ambassador, earthling, Josh Williams, telling you what's going on with me personally, professionally, and everything in between. And this week, I'm going to tell you guys about some anecdotal experiences that I had. I have had a lot of work related stuff, not super fascinating yet, a lot of potential, but, but that's the thing we learn, right? Is, is in order for something to happen first, you have to, to load it with potential energy before it becomes kinetic energy. So I'm hoping for some kinetic payoff stuff soon. I'll tell you guys too about how the LTB hearing went and just some other conversation stuff. I'll get into the, yeah, the quote of the week, the top five, you know, and, uh, and then right off into the distance. That's, that's how we're going to do it this week, guys. In terms of just starting off with you, I'm really kind of at a loss this week. You know what? I'll tell you what I got, I got my, my, my little anecdotal stuff that I'll just get out of the way real quick. I'm going <laughs> to, I'm going to talk about, well, I'll tell you what, I'll tell you guys what I'm weighing right now. Right. Cause I've been trying to. Even that's not fair to say I have been maintaining the weight loss that I've had already and, and really telling myself every day I'm going to do good, but I've been bad, I've been bad. So current weigh in 255. So original starting point, January 1st, 280, 255 now. And you would think, oh my God, Josh, you must be so excited. I was 264 two weeks later. So in the subsequent, you know, six to seven weeks since then, I've managed to I got down as low as 253 and change one day and, and 255 on the scale this morning, which makes no sense to me because I've been bad guys. I have had like three or four days where I've eaten pizza in the last week, I think three, but I'm doing good. I was doing so good. I say that like, like somebody was fucking me over. It was me. It was me fucking me over, you know? often, often me fucking me over. Not always. Sometimes I get fucked by, uh, by things. You're dropping a lot of F-bombs, buddy. It's always strange to me because for those of you who are with me every single week, I, I appreciate it and get right into things and just start going. But for those of you who might have just stumbled across me from a show or something like that, you're like, oh, you have a podcast? I love podcasts. And you tune in expecting me to just have an hour of fresh material or something like that, where it's just funny off the top of my head. I'm even pretty good at doing that on stage, but that's sort of when there's a give and take and an external stimulus where someone's answering a question or something that I wasn't anticipating, but just off the top of my own head in the middle afternoon, the middle of the afternoon after doing a bunch of paperwork and stuff, very, very difficult to just turn on the funny, but I'm going to do what I can to, to make this entertaining for you guys. And of course I'm going to start right off by saying, yeah, I did like pizza and I was, I was doing good. 
during the day. So at work, I was drinking tea with nothing in it, avoiding the, I avoided the hot chocolate. I was giving away free hot chocolate for the last three weeks. Not a drop of it hit my lips. There was, there was coffee as well. I didn't do any sugar or anything that I just did. I just did tea. I brought tea. There was hot water on the machines. I made myself a tea. I didn't need anything. I was a good boy. I was a good boy, but I, I ended up, <laughs> I'd get home. I'd be driving home and I'm like, oh, I got to stop in and pick up a prescription or whatever. This little plaza near my house. And there'd be like a, a Gabriel's pizza. I remember there was like a, a super bowl. I don't think the super bowl was this last week. There'd be like, yeah, I went to Gabriel's. I was like, that was like the snowflake turned to blizzards. I went there one time in the last few weeks and then I'm like, oh my God, they have specials there. I'm like, I'm going to get, I'm going to get another special. I'm, I'm here. I mean, I'm looking at McDonald's. McDonald's like, Hey, I have a $4 Big Mac. I'm like, yeah, but for like nine bucks, I can have a pizza. And I was good today. Didn't eat anything. You know, you always rationalize, right? That's what I've learned. Everybody always rationalizes when they're doing something bad. But I, I was like, you know what? I'm going to, I'm going to have a pizza and I'll do it just this one time to be my cheat because I went all week and I did it like three times. And, and the thing was, and here's the thing I, I, I ate bad because I'm like, I'm not going to eat it again tomorrow. So I got to finish it tonight so that it's not there tomorrow. I don't ruin tomorrow. Such stupid logic because instead of being like, oh, there's pizza tomorrow and I'm going to somehow know that I'm going to fail again and do pizza second day in a row. No, instead I'm doing too much pizza, right? The second time it's like, oh, what I, this day I got to finish it again. I don't want to go three days. I didn't do three days in a row, but I, I've not been good. So I really have to get on track. I'm, I'm leaving on a trip this weekend and I would really like, I know I, I intend to have the free breakfast associated with the hotel room. I'm going to a place that's gotten known for certain types of food. My friends are coming with me. We're going to go out. So really want to make sure that, you know, I, I kind of, I guess I've also rationalized it that like, I'm going to be bad this weekend. So like, you know, maybe I'll just do my thing until then. So still doing well to an extent where I'm not just eating whatever I want all day, every day, but. I'm failing because it's like the end of the day when I'm eating. Like last night, guys, I failed last night. Last night was the third time. And I'm like, it's like, it's like 11 o'clock. I didn't eat all day. And not that, not that I didn't eat all day. Like you had a fucking bagel and then you had like a little snack and then you had something else where you ate all day, but you didn't have a meal. So in your head, you're like, oh, I didn't even eat all day. No, no, no. None of that shit. I'm talking. I didn't eat all day. I had a cup of coffee that I nursed all day whilst doing other things. But yeah failed. And then I ordered something on Uber Eats come 11 o'clock. I'm like, Oh, it's going to get here at midnight. That's the perfect time to crush half a pizza, right? Terrible, terrible. I'm also recording this two days late. I like to have it done on Tuesday. I'm actually recording this on Thursday. So apologies for the delay, but I'm not spoiling anything that's happened in the last, well, try of the pizza, anything that's happened in the last, you know, 48 hours, but so I can save it for next week. Right. I mean, my weeks have been a little weird where there's not a whole lot going on. So finding trying to find a, a way to fill an hour has been getting more and more difficult <laughs> just when there's not a lot going on. My calendar is about to be bare. So there's a lot of things to work on, but I don't know if me working on Photoshop stuff is really that fascinating to you guys. But so I, I wanted to start by addressing that I'm still 255. I expect it to be more, but I'm not. I did, I did wanted to say thank you. There was a, I got an email this week where it was like, Hey, congratulations. One of your referrals, you know, redeemed your Nespresso discount and whatever. So you've got $50 worth of, of free coffee credit on your account. And I was like, that's amazing. So I want to say a big thank you. Cause now I learned that this person is not in Canada or at least the order wasn't placed in Canada. So I just wanted to say a big thank you to, to Gail H for redeeming it said the, the name in the, in the email, but out of respect, just Gail, thank you for, for clicking on the link of the podcast. I assume you listened and got it from me there. Uh, because again, I wouldn't know, I haven't been talking to anyone in the States, especially not about an espresso. It would have only been onesies. So 
I appreciate that. And I'm going to, I'm going to reach back out to you later in this anecdote telling, you know, asking you to send me an email if possible, please. Because what happened guys was I was like, oh, that's great. 50 bucks worth of coffee. And I'm like, you know what? I'm, I'm, I'm a big coffee fan. I love my Nespresso. I mean, there's good coffee. It's not the cheapest, but it's, but it's good, good, good at home coffee for sure. No question. Way better than a Keurig system in my opinion. So I, I jumped on their website and I'm like, you know what? I have a lot of, of Nespresso coffee right now, but I don't have a lot of decaf. And I like to be at the end of the night where I'm just sitting and, and when I'm finally like, you know, giving myself permission to play some video games or something, once I've done my work, I, I like to sit and sip on a nice cup of coffee, but I don't want to be up all night. So I'm like, I need some more, some more decafs and they got really tasty decafs. So I jump on the site and I get this $50 credit, you know, and I start putting the order together. And then when I go to check out, there's like no automatic credit. I'm like, huh, how do I do that? Take a look around. Is there something in my thing? Use this promo code. Was there something in the email that told me what to do? Nothing there. Just hey, congratulations, 50 bucks, the credit works. I'm like, whatever. So right. I do like when the website has the little, Hey, you want a voice chat with us? I jumped on that. And I, I asked the, the person, Hey, why can't I apply this $50 credit? I'm, I'm, you know, my, I got a, I, you know, I didn't even, wouldn't have even known I had this credit if you guys hadn't sent me an email. And I took a screenshot of the email and I was able to upload it into the chat. And I said, Hey, like, like why, you know, help me provision this. And they're like, sorry, you can't, you don't get the $50 because the person redeemed it outside of Canada. And I'm like, okay, well, you know, your, your email system seems to think that I can redeem it because it contacted me. And he's like one second, he goes off for like 10, 15 minutes. I was just doing other work, but goes off for a while, comes back. You ever, you ever be on one of those chats guys where they've been gone for so long that when you hear the little, like sometimes just a little sound or something like that, where they're back and I'm like, holy shit, I completely forgot that that was even happening. I go back to it and he's like, yeah, so it turns out the person's from another country. So you're not eligible for that, that discount. But if you want to go ahead and share your code, you know, you're totally eligible for $50 of the free coffee. If someone redeems it in Canada, I'm like, I'm like, well, hold on a second here. I'm like, this person clearly was able to like, if you're saying that this promo only applies to people in Canada, how did someone outside of Canada make use of this promo? Right? Like your system is telling me they redeemed it. It wasn't like, Hey, someone clicked on your code. It's like, Hey, someone has redeemed their thing. You have now successfully received $50. Right? So I'm like, well, why did you, I'm like, there's several places along the line that Nespresso could have caught this and corrected it. Right. When that person tries to use the code, it's immediately, this promo code doesn't apply to your country done and nobody moves forward. Then once it, you know, goes through on the back end or what have you, there's an opportunity for them not to send me an email notifying me that someone has redeemed it. Right. So there's like, I'm like, there's a lot of different places along the way for this multi-million dollar company to have prevented me from thinking I've received, you know, a promo. So I just kept saying like, guys, I promote you on my podcast. I I'm, you know, I used to work for you with marketing companies and stuff like that. I was promoting Nespresso in Costco right when the pandemic shut everything down. I'm like, you know, I'm like, I'm a pretty good ambassador for Nespresso. And literally all I'm asking for is for you to honor the thing. If it was a mistake made fine, but that's a mistake on your end. It's not my fault. You know what I mean? And I go, why would I keep, you're telling me that this person's outside the country. I have no way of knowing that. All I know is that you contacted me and said, I'm, I've got some cash waiting, you know? So essentially the argument I made was just that like, look, you're such a big company. Why don't you just avoid me telling the story of how you wouldn't honor your deal? It's 50 bucks worth of coffee, which at the end of the day, your bottom line is probably like 10 bucks or 20 bucks max. So just fucking cough up the thing and, and fix your system. This is your system's mistake. You, you do something, you don't you know, do this for me for client experience, you know? And they were like, nope, nope, it's not eligible. You can go and I go, well, I have no reason to believe that, that the next time somebody does this, that 
it's it's going to actually pay off for me, especially even if you contact me and tell me. Like it's it's a fool, to me, I said it's a, like a fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. And and once I got fooled because I gave the thing out, someone redeemed it, and nothing came my way. Now that's not to say I'm not happy for you guys. I want you to get discounts. I want you to win. But it's weird that that you know they would they would take a hard stance on nope, we're not helping you. So anyways, my, my, that was my experience with Nespresso. And that was like a long time. Like he went away a few times. I said, so you tell them like, I'm going to pull the code. I'm not going to promote it. And you tell me if they're, that's worth it to them to have things. So my suggestion to you guys as well is if you are in fact playing or playing, uh, if you are in fact planning on giving out, you know, referral codes for Nespresso or something like that, just a heads up that they seem to on the back end without any ability of yours, you can get notified that you've got money. But on the back end, they can just be like, ah, nah, it didn't happen in this country. I'm like, well, can you prove that? They're like, listen, it didn't happen in this country, but go ahead, keep giving it away. So it's like, okay, so keep doing promo for you and you'll have an excuse of how it's like, nope, not for you, you know, but keep going, keep going. Yeah. Keep plugging us. We promise next time we'll actually give you the money. Anyways. So that was my experience with Nespresso. But Gail, if you happen to be listening, I would love it if you could send an email to contact at onemanpodcast.com. Just let me know if, if it did in fact work, if it did in fact give you the discount and if you are in fact in the United States, that's, I, I won't read it on the air, but I would like to be able to just confirm that in fact, you know, everything they're saying is true. And then on top of that, it gives me something to go back and say, Hey, you know, if you're saying it's only for Canada, how come that person was able to get the discount? Like, I mean, I'm not gonna try to fuck you out of it. If you want to send me the email after you receive everything so they can't just stop your shipment, I, I'm fine with that. I don't want, you don't want you to lose. I just want to, to know if they're full of shit. And then it just gives me ammo if I decide to, to, to reach back out and say, Hey, look, you know, if it's a Canadian thing only, how come one person received the end? Whatever. It's not the end of the world. I just, a, like as a comedian, we hate any level of injustice, small or large, and even at the end of the day, if they got a sale out of it, it's like, then fucking cough up the, the capsules. All right. So moving on. Another thing this week is I, I had a, I had a friend of mine reach out who I've worked with in the past. And I'll tell you guys more about this in the coming weeks, but this is someone I worked with throughout the, the history of the podcast. I love this guy. I love him very, very much. It's Chris Houston from the idea shop. Chris is like, is, is he's got a company. Like I'd love to sit down and do an interview with him. I've been bothering him and he's like, oh no, I'm not, I'm not interesting or whatever. I'm like, dude, you're way more interesting than you think. And Chris has had a great, great career. He, he works essentially in promoting authors and things like that. And uh, really any, any business that's trying to get, you know, visibility and things like that and, and airtime to promote. He's good with that stuff. Chris has put me in touch with a lot of really cool people. Sadly, there were some really cool things lined up right before the pandemic, which because of the pandemic, you know, everyone's lives changed and, and things changed and even the the nature of promoting something it's like well you can't promote stuff you know hey come out to the bookstore and meet it's like how everything's closed so chris has sent me some books over the years i did an episode with my friend izzy where we both reviewed the four percent fix which is a great book i chat with uh, i have an episode uh, interview with jf gerard from the artsy raven i believe it was called i really hope i'm right about that and i apologize i should have had it ready before i started talking about it but that's my style no research so yeah she was i think it was like dark helix publishing or something but we she had a book that we that we read and then we had a chat about it afterwards and jf was great she was super kind she was an interesting interview but there was lots of interviews well I, there's been other interviews that that chris and i have talked about and that i've done where and this was during the pandemic. So I went from sitting at a table with comedians doing those types of interviews to 
having chats with authors via, via FaceTime or zoom or something like that. And it's not quite the same. The audio glitches out. The connection is bad. And I just want to say to you guys that there was like two different ones. I won't name the authors because that's shitty. I'd like to, I'd love to give them promo, but it was just like, it, it was frustrating because two, two interviews straight up never got aired. One of them, I read the book. The other one, Crystal read the book. So the same thing is Crystal sent me a book. I'll read their, their, their project, their, their writer their book, whatever it is. Like there's been somewhere it's like been manuscripts that I've read or whatever. But the idea is Chris will send me the book. I'll read it. I'm not a big reader. I do like reading, but I hate reading as homework. So if it's a subject that I'm like, I, you know, I love Chris. So I will say this, a lot of these, a lot, not all, a lot of these are like, that's my buddy. He's been super good to me over the years. If I can help him with his business, like where there's somebody who, you know, if it's an added value for him to have somebody on my podcast, you know, and it's an extra piece of press or whatever that he can offer them. I'm happy to do it, you know, and, and I know he doesn't work with people who are just absolute garbage, but I, I had two different people. One was, one was like a crime book and, uh, and Crystal was more into true crime and crime novels and things like that. So I told her, listen, if you're interested, I'll give you the book and you can interview the guy, you know, if that's something for you, if you're, if you're up for it. And she she was willing and I appreciated that she read the book. She wrote a lot of nice, like, like nice questions. She wrote a lot of reasonable and interesting questions. Like, and the thing was when she sat down with the guy. He was giving like yes or no answers, right? And then the interviews are like an hour long. So I've even said like, you're going to be chatting with us for some time. So feel free to like tell stories that you're not telling on a four or five minute radio interview. You have the room to expand and, and give the audience more. So I got I to gotta be honest, guys, like yes or no answers this guy was given. No, no, no energy, no, no excitement. Like, like this interview is to promote him and his writing. And it was like, you couldn't have been more bored buy it, you know? So I think Crystal did a really good job of, of asking good interview questions and stuff. He just didn't have the energy or the, the, I don't even know what to call it. I'm not trying to shit on the guy. It's just, he didn't, he was a shitty interview. So I never published it. I was like, this is, this is going to be the worst episode. And I go, and if anything, the point of, of doing an interview episode for promo purposes, sorry, I'm clicking my pen. I, I hope Authonic is cleaning it up. The whole point of the interview is to have you know, it'd be a nice promo for you as an author and for your work that you've done. And if you're so boring that I'm like, man, this guy can't, this guy's not even excited or interested in talking about his own shit. Like how, how could I be? So it was, it was sad. And then another interview I did with someone whose book I read, that's when I read and it was okay. It wasn't super interesting. It was, it was not half bad, a book about kind of like, like, you know, what to do next in life kind of thing. That's not the title of it, but it was just kind of like, Hey, if you're someone who's like an adult and you're professional, like, what do you want to do with your life and whatever? Here's some steps and here's some ideas. And it was a fascinating enough book. But when I, when I sat to do the interview, it's like, we had like an hour slot booked and this person was trying to connect to a Wi-Fi over a pizza pizza. Like they're like, Oh, I'm in my office and the Wi-Fi is not working. So I'm trying to connect to the one pizza pizza downstairs. I'm like, okay. And then for like, like no word of a lie, half an hour, 35 minutes, the the, the internet wouldn't work and it just kept chopping. It just kept failing. And I think what I did eventually was I ended up calling on the phone. I'm like, let's just trust the landlines and I'll, I'll connect it, you know, via audio that way. I'll just call you. And, and then we talked for about 20 minutes. I had a bunch of questions lined up, but it was like, I got some of them answered and 
you know, and then they had to hard stop at the end of that hour. So I had like a 23 minute interview that was like rushed. I didn't get all my questions asked. I didn't even get to comfortably go into the, the, the questions I did want to ask because it was kind of just speed round right from the get go. And I was like, okay, and that's done. We have to stop now. So I'm like, also another interview that wasn't good was not the kind of work I put out. And there's times where I'll yammer on for an hour, but that's like, that's my fault. And that's me. I'm giving you me that week. But it was just, I, I was like, I, I, I talked to Chris and Chris was, you know, asking me if there was, you know, there was other books and stuff. Hey, if you want to do an interview with this author or that author. And there was times where, again, right before the pandemic where I'm like, I would love to talk to these authors. Absolutely adore talking to the people that, that you're, you're suggesting, but pandemic happened. We lost them. And then during the pandemic, I wasn't sitting down with comedians because I wasn't doing comedy. I wasn't traveling. And you just end up like, okay, I'm just doing, I was just doing like author after author. And, and, and I was having a slew of these ones that just didn't go anywhere. So I was like, you know what? I, I didn't, I didn't tell Chris to stop reaching out or anything like that. It was just, it just got, you know, I, I wasn't, wasn't hungry for it. I wasn't super jazzed. I think he sent me something from an author and, and I just reached out. I was like, I don't have a lot of free time right now. And I don't know that I'll be able to get you this interview with the urgency it, res- it deserves because when it comes to the book world, you got like three months when the thing comes out to really push it on the market. And then that's it. You're not promoting books that came out six years ago, you know, on radio and shit like that. It's kind of like, but a new book comes out, you, you push, 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 and then that's it. So Chris reached out and I, I chatted with him and I said, listen, man, my, my big concern is that, you know, I'll say yes to doing an interview, do the interview. It sucks. I don't release it. And then, you know, your, your client is pissed because they're like, Hey, I thought I was getting a podcast out of this or whatever. And Chris was, Chris has been so cool. He's just like, no, like, don't even worry if the project sucks, if the interview sucks, just kill it. And I was like, amazing. I go, well, in that case, you go ahead and you send me whatever you want to send me. And if there's room for us to do something, we'll do it. So love working with them. That was a conversation we had this week and I'm, I'm looking forward to some stuff. He's sending me a book from a new, new author, travel, travel book. And I'll, uh, I'll read that and, you know, see if, see if the schedules can work where I can have a chit chat with that guy and, and make some good content for you guys uh, as a result. Happy black history month. I didn't say that yet, but it is black history month. Happy black history month. What are you guys doing to celebrate? Are you, are you watching documentaries? Are you reading books? Are you, uh, you know, some people giving up the N word? Hmm. Like people, when they give up things for Lent, are you giving up the N word for black history month? You know, I listen to two less hip hop songs per day. (laughs) I really hope someone's like, not like, yes, I have finally decided to stop. Or someone's like, nope, never giving it up. The answer should just be, I don't, I don't use that word in public anymore. (laughs) No, happy black history month, guys. I, I did a spot. I'll tell you about this later on, but I just spotted absolute comedy and I thought about doing something fucking stupid but the show, the show is so bad. I, I made QR codes. So when I sell stuff after the shows, people are always like, Hey, like you have a podcast. What's it called? And I start to tell them and they're like, Oh, it's on Spotify. I start typing stuff on their phones and things. It kind of slows, slows me down after the show or they'll be like, Hey, you on Instagram. So the other day I was Photoshopping just a little sheet that essentially had all four places, you know, four, at least the four most popular places to get the podcast, Spotify, Apple podcasts, Podbean, where it's hosted and YouTube. As well as my Instagram QR code. So people just go to the, the one man podcast Instagram, which is the only Instagram I have and, and right up there, get the, 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 you know, links like I don't have that to stop. It's just a little sheet where like, it's, you know, it'll be sitting there after the show. You come up, scan, whichever thing you're interested in. Boom. It takes you right there. Easy. 
peasy. So I did that. And then the other day when I was out running errands, I, I popped into Staples. So I made two of them. I made one that was a full size eight and a half by 11, basically a regular sheet of paper. And then I made one that was like half the size and then duplicated it. So I'm like, cause I'm like a big piece of paper sitting out like that, like that, that size, even laminated, you know, and hard just to stand up, you know, hard, like laminated so that it is hard and capable of standing up in a stand. It's still going to be, it's a lot, it's a lot of real estate you know, on a, on a table. So I was like, I'll just do two little small ones, get it printed one slice and a half, still one laminate sheet, but I'll have backups. So I can put two out on tables or alternatively I can, what do you call it? Come on brain. It's already doing it guys. I haven't yawned yet or slurped coffee. And I actually don't think I have anything right here to drink. Yeah. I was like, Jesus. Yeah. I went in and I'm like, Hey man, can you, can you make this for me? Cut it in half laminate. They're like, we're super busy. I had gotten myself a spot on the show at absolute comedy that night I just called and I was like, Hey, and I was almost like, I'm going to take this, this, these new little sheets for a whirl. Anyways, the guy at Staples, they were so busy, but I was like, Hey man, I pulled a little bit of a sleazy card. I was like, listen, I'm not more important than anybody else. And I always say that this is my little pro tip for you guys. If you're ever in an emergency situation where you, you're, you're kind of hoping that someone will make an exception for you or move you to the head of the line a little bit. I personally, and I, and I believe it too, truthfully at the end of the day, I believe it too when I say it. So don't just say it, you know, in a fake way, people can pick up when you're being disingenuous, but I always say, Hey, listen, I'm not more important than anybody else, but you know, and in this case I was like, but I'm, I'm a stand-up comic. I'm on my way to a show and I need this for the show tonight. Is there any way, you know, I, I wanted like two of the large ones printed and two of the small ones that I can cut in half printed. And then all of them laminated. He's like, we're doing laminate. He's like, all of our lamination machines are like crazy busy right now. I, I can't. So I was like, well, what about just one? Can you print me just one cut it in half, throw it in the machine? It would, it would mean I'll come back another time for all the other ones, but it would mean the world for me if you could just, and and, and he finally agreed, you know, and I was like, thank you. I paid for it, but I, I was maybe there five minutes. So it was just like, Hey, here's the thing. Print sliced it in half. He did a, he did a shitty job of slicing it in half. So I'm probably going to get it redone, but it worked for that night. I'm like, I have something. The, the simple fact of the matter, I also have to see if they have one that's more matte than gloss, the, the laminate, because these are way too, too glossy, but. I, I, I was very, very grateful for him making the exception for me and doing it. And then I went to absolute comedy and I absolutely fucking bombed, bombed as much as you can bomb when you're, when you're experienced. So I got on the show. I was the first one on that night. This crowd was really tepid. They were very, very young and they were kind of just like not on board, like comic after comic was not doing well, except here's the thing, a buddy of mine, I won't name names, but a friend of mine who I haven't seen in some time, who I, who I, I respect very, very much. He was in the back. He's like, oh, I haven't done it so long. I'm going to go up and bomb tonight, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, yeah, doubtful. I go, you want me to go up and bomb first? I'll go up and bomb for you. I'll go, I'll go make it so you couldn't possibly do worse. And I was joking, but I, I didn't have any new, new material. I was just like, I just want an excuse to, to shoot the shit with the crowd, do some stand up, and hopefully get a few new followers or, or subscribers to the podcast. And uh, I did not do well. And the funny thing was he was the first person on the show who actually did well. And we were in the green room in the back talking about bombing. I said, when you're a pro, you know, you, you can't really bomb to that extent anymore. And he's like, of course you can bomb. And I was like, there's this conversation where I'm like, even when you're a, like, like, even when you're not doing well as a, as a pro, like, you know how to be self-aware. Like you can tell when a set's not going well and you'd be like, wow, you guys do not like anything I'm saying. And then they'll chuckle a little bit or something like just recognizing and, and acknowledging what's happening and how the situation's playing out. We'll get you some leeway with them where they'll laugh and they'll be like, yeah, buddy, you, you said it. Like, whereas like new people are always like, really, really? You didn't like that? Really? 
Um, in fact, one of the people on the show was relatively new and she kept saying that after the jokes didn't land. Oh my God, really? You guys, oh my God, that one always does well. You guys really didn't like that? And I'm like, that's what a new person says. And a pro is like, well, this is going swimmingly. Like, you know what I mean? Like it's, it's still addressing the obvious. And that's why, that's why in the green room, I was like, this was before the show even started. I'm like, once you're a pro, you, you can never bomb the same way an amateur can, because just no matter what, you're going to have just a level of self-awareness and, and experience above it. So you'll do, you'll feel like you bombed to your standards because you're a pro, you should have been able to get better laughs, but you'll never, it'll never be like you've scorched the earth and, and ruined the night or not the night, but you've just completely killed all the energy in the room and, and that's it. And okay, well, now it's time for me to walk off stage and make the host bring it back. Right. So that was, that was the conversation beforehand. And then I did not do well. So I, uh, I stuck around to watch my buddy who did well. I'm like, see, told you gonna be fine. And then I, I shook the headliner's hand. who's also a good friend, told him I'll be back to see you later in the week, but uh, I don't think I'm going to make it. I, I sincerely intended to, but I, uh, I forgot I was leaving this weekend. So I'm like, oh, I won't be back this week. Just out of respect, because we're talking about being like old school, where you can stay and watch the headliner and learn from the pro, especially in a show where you don't do well. You want to watch the pro do well. But yeah, I was like, okay, thank you so much for having me and and good night. The thing I was going to do on stage for Black History Month was I was going to just like do a joke and then give some random fact about black history. And then the joke that I was going to do, like I was going to give an actual piece of, of trivia, like like another piece of trivia, and then like do another joke. And the third one would be like, black guys have big dicks and just like whatever. But the, the set was going so poorly. And even I thought, I'm like, ah, it's kind of stupid. But I'm like, maybe, maybe they'll laugh about just how fucking stupid that is, which was the whole point, right? Is to be like, here's intelligence, intelligence black guys have big dicks and see, but they were just a crowd that just, everything was going over their heads, you know, and, and someone was like, Oh, you, we love when you do crowd works, chat to the crowd. I'm like, okay, I'll chat with them a little bit. It just wasn't, wasn't a great, wasn't, wasn't the, it wasn't a good set. So luckily, and again, I laugh it off at this point. Whereas like before be like, Oh man, should I quit comedy? So yeah, I, I did that. I worked on the hilarious bastards poster this week for the show on June 1st in Collingwood, Ontario. That was fun just because I'm getting things moving along. I've got so many things on the go. I did two job interviews this week, two interviews for the same thing. And then I applied for a job and filled out a bunch of paperwork for the other one job. Like I don't, I, I really don't want to talk about them yet guys, because I'm a, I'm, I was told that I'm it's, it's me versus someone else, which historically for me has meant someone else. And then the other ones said that they've received quite a few applicants, but I know that I'm the most qualified for the job. Both of them would put me in a very good position based on everything else I have going on in my life right now. If you don't know what that is, check out the previous episodes. I assure you, I go into detail of what's going on with me. So it was, I could be in a good way, but I could also just come in. Sorry, sorry. Just, just, just beat you by you know, mystic by that much. Hey, if you know what that reference is, send me an email, contact at one podcast.com. So did that this weekend. I also did three shifts for the, uh, the Tim Hortons truck, giving away free, free coffee, free hot chocolate. I mentioned that earlier long days and fucking cold days. Temperature dropped big time. So I know that I was like, Hey, I'd really like it if if it wasn't like this in Chicago this weekend, when we go, because I was checking last week, we checked the weather in Chicago and it was like, Oh, it's the same as Ottawa. Well, Ottawa dipped big time, really hoping the same did not happen in Illinois. So, uh, I do want to give out a shout out to my, uh, my colleagues, Jay, Miles, Sarah, Sanjay, and Rania for rocking it with me. Everybody made it through the cold. It wasn't as pleasant to just go out and enjoy your, your time outside of the truck. 
I, I also, the last day we had some fun, we were bringing the uh, Bluetooth speaker the last few weeks because the first week our boss was like, nope, no music. And then he was gone. He's like, I won't be back for the next two weeks. And I was like, I read you loud and clear. Although it was not in the same context. He wasn't like no music, but I'm not here, which would have been cool. That's the cool boss that says that, you know what? You're not allowed to have music, but I'm not going to be here for the next two weeks. So I'm going to need you guys to tapping his nose, respect that rule. So I, I was like, okay, we brought music and, and everyone's tastes were very, were very reasonable. Like they like pop stuff. They like old stuff. I like new stuff. Uh, Sandra, who I was working with is a big country fan. And I was chatting with him saying, you know, I don't know if I know a lot of country. At one point I brought my notebook to be like, I'm going to write down some ideas for, for top fives, just if we have any downtime, which we, we didn't. But I was like, you know what, even just thinking of country music, I think it'd be a great top five, like the top five country songs I know, which, which is like, I'm like, I don't even know if I can name five, but it just got everybody chatting, having little, little questions and whatever. But Sanjay asked me a question, you know, he was just, it was just like fun trivia asking each other stuff, but it, it was like, and it stumped me and it made me look inwards a little bit to something I haven't really thought of like truthfully. So I'm going to share with you guys. This is like, it's going to, it's just a big left turn because he asked me and just because of the podcast and stand up and who I am, like generally speaking, if somebody asks me a question, I want to answer it as honestly as I can. It's not even to make the answer long. It's just to be as honest and genuine and sincere as I can. And I, Sanjay was like, Hey Josh, like what's your favorite childhood memory? And I was like, totally stumped totally something. It's like, that's a great question. Leave it with me. And I'll, I'll, I'll answer it when I, when I can think of something. And it took me a long time. And even the answer I gave, I wasn't super happy with. Like, I feel like there's gotta be better stuff. I, and it might be part of my journey right now. It could have, maybe it was just one of those things where the universe does for you, right? The same way when I was driving the universe, I asked YouTube to play me videos about you know, how to co-parent and how to ask stepkids, you know, to, to do things in an accessible way. And this, the subject switched like almost instantly from that to narcissism. And then it stayed there. Right. And so it was just like the universe, like you need to hear about this. So when Sanjay asked me that, I started thinking I'm like, yeah, what is like my most cherished childhood memory? And I have a lot of I have a lot of uh, good, good memories, I guess, but I grew up poor. I grew up really poor. We didn't have a lot. Like we didn't know. The funny thing is like people are like, oh, we were poor, but we didn't know it. And I, and I can understand and empathize with that. I can't ever say that we didn't know we were poor. Did, were we, were we better off than other poor people? A hundred percent. But it's really tough to say we didn't know we were poor. So my mom, when we were, when we were young, we weren't just like, oh, we weren't, we weren't, we were living paycheck to paycheck. My mother was on mother's allowance, which she called it, which I believe is just welfare. I don't think it was a separate program. I think it was just another way of saying welfare. And we were on it for some time. And my mom was a single mom. We, we grew up, you know, my, my mom sent us to French immersion school because she was trying to give us a better opportunity. If you're in the Ottawa area, you're going to need to, to know French. Like, you know, this is a bilingual country and it's a bilingual city. It's right on the border of Quebec. Like you should know French. So she sent us to French immersion school to, to learn French and to have better advantages. And I'm, I am grateful for that. That was an, an intelligent and strategic decision. Sadly, the, the only French immersion school in the area was where all the, I don't want to say rich kids, but the, the, the dual income families with no issues, no poverty whatsoever. And we knew we were poor because these kids would come to school with all sorts of stuff. And it was funny because, because my colleagues in the truck, 
were like, you know, they're, they're 20 and I'm 41. So I, I went to school and, and finished high school, finished high school, left high school before they were even born. So I'm like, I'm like, like I go, I'm not trying to bring you guys down or anything, but I'm like, I, I go, I grew up poor and I knew it because all the kids in school had stuff and we didn't. And I'm like, I'm like, and if you've never been that kid, the day when the scholastic books are delivered to your desk or for milk day or pizza lunch day or the bake sale or the weekend ski trip that you're not going on or the after school programs, like all these books where it's like, Oh, do you want to do this after school program or that after school? Pro-? Like all of that was a no. And I, and I'm young, right? So every time that comes around, there's no part of my brain that's like, Oh, you're not going to do any of these. I would allow myself to get excited all, all day and all afternoon to like, Oh, I want to do the cartooning thing after school, whatever. And it's not that my mom was cheap. She was not, she was poor. You know what I mean? We didn't know whatever, like for the longest time in my life, when we would go to the grocery store and I was like, mom, can we get this? She'd be like, if it's on sale. And I never knew what on sale meant. I'm like, everything's for sale here. You know what I mean? So she's just like, if it's on sale, no, I can't have that. If it's on sale, we'll get it. But like, so I just <laughs> never, I know what it means now, but it's just so funny as a kid. Like that's the the language, but I have no idea what it means. Yeah. And these, you know, the, the kids at school knew we were poor because, you know, my brother and I, we didn't have all the stuff that they were all coming to school with. We didn't go on the trips of one else. We were the only person who didn't have milk or have a slice of pizza. Like it, there was a million little things that telegraphed every day that we don't have. And, and the reason I said my, my colleagues are 20 is that there is a big difference in bullying culture now in schools. Whereas back then you got picked on and nobody gave a shit that you were getting picked on. You would say I'm getting picked on. You're like, okay, we'll tell them to stop. I'm like, yeah, you, gee, thanks. I think next thing you're going to tell me is that a salad's better for you than a Baconator, right? Just, just teachers are fucking useless. Absolutely useless. I don't know. I, I really don't know this whole like anti-bullying bullshit. I don't know if it works. I think it's just making bullies better, better at doing it stealthily. It's like saying that, oh, people don't say the N-word anymore. Of course they do. People are garbage. If they can say a hateful thing, they do it. They just hide it better now. Anyways, I digress. I'm not saying I advocate for it. I'm saying that people act like nobody says it. And I'm like, I hear it come out of people's mouths. And I or or I might not hear that word, but hearing their their ideology on the subject, it's like, wow, what fucking year is this that you can think that way? My point is that when I was asked what's my favorite childhood memory, a lot of my childhood I felt incomplete. My mom raised me. She did the responsibility to take care of me and my brother. Um, and my mom went without so that we could have more. So that's where I say that, like, you know, as far as poor kids go, my brother and I had probably more than, than others did, but my mom would walk. I can't even describe how far I could tell you in kilometers or something like that, but just knowing the city and everything. And like my mom would walk hours every day to save the bus fare. You know what I mean? So she, she sacrificed to, to make sure my brother and I had more. So in terms of that, like we weren't as poor as we could have been, but we went to the movies once a year and it was a, a special occasion when we did, we, we didn't have, I remember my principal coming to my house with a box of stuff at Christmas. Like, like they knew we were the poor kids. There was no, there was no denying it. And so my childhood was like being bullied, you know, made fun of for being poor. I wasn't fat for most of school, I got started gaining weight near the end. And I mean, school, like, like up till grade seven, 
right? After, after, you know, once high school started and stuff like that, like different, different story, but I was gaining a little bit of weight near the end. I was, I was made fun of for, for being poor. I didn't have the experiences that they had. My mom was going to school at the time. So she came home, she worked her ass off to, to make, you know, to, to get good grades and do well in school, something that did not transfer to me. I don't know if at my young age, I was even able to, to make out the fact that I'm like, well, you worked hard in school. You were a good student. You were on honor roll and look where you are. Like, I don't, I don't think that I put those dots together, but Josh now would say like, you know, if someone's like, you got to do this, you got to do that, you got to do this. And I'm like, that get you where you are. Cause you know, unless you're somewhere I want to be, I, I, I don't know if I want to follow that advice. My mom was very passive aggressive. Oh, geez. I'm on the sofa now sit down, tell me your problems. My mom was very passive aggressive. She's kind and likable and fun, but you know, she, she would be very negative and, and sarcastic and things like that. And I, I picked up on that. I, I learned that behavior. I, I, you know, adopted and implemented it unknowing that I was even doing it. It's just, that's how the person closest to me talks. That's how my brother talks too. And that's, you know, like, that's just, how you talk. So like sarcastic, passive aggressive comments became how I communicated, you know, not exclusively, but, but not even understanding the, the psychology of what I was doing. So there was a lot of like cynicism and negativity when I was young, as I, as I've, I've gotten older, I've learned about, you know, gratitude and gratitude practices and things like that. And I have a better outlook. I'm able to stop and go, despite how hard I feel my life is right now, I've got a lot of good things in it. And I, I don't want to lose that about myself. I'd like to, you know, stay a happy person. I want to continue being grateful. And I have all sorts of elements now and anecdotes and things that I would highlight as like having a great day now, but I had a really hard time. I, I still don't think I actually thought I talked about the time my grandparents spent a bunch of money on us crisp on Christmas. Like we got presents at Christmas, but not a lot. And I just remember being able to like go to, you know, that we came home, you know, Christmas Eve or whatever. And, you know, the tree had some gifts under it, but my grandparents like dropped off a bunch of stuff, I guess in the middle of the night or whatever. And the tree was like loaded. We took us like the forever to go through all the presents the next day. It was great. It was great. We didn't feel like poor kids that Christmas. That was the answer I gave. And I, like I said, I'm not really proud or, or content with that answer because I'm sure that I, I had better days than that but I had a lot of shitty days too. And I had a lot of days that should have been one of the greatest days turn into like one of the worst days. So I just, but it made me think that I'm like, wow, did I really just, do I really just look back at my entire childhood and go like, I was funny. I had fun times, but something I'd be like, that was the best day of my life. Like most of what was happening to me that was, that was formative was like, the past, like the stuff that made me an angry person, the stuff that made me built me the insecurities that I have today, the things that, you know, when I was young, seeing all the, the rich kids with stuff, as soon as I started working and making money, I, I, I spent money on things because my, my brain was like, things are what make you happy. That's what these kids have that I don't, they're happy. I'm, I'm on the receiving end of, of not having it, right. I'm being teased for not having it. So, you know, you get conditioned to think that, that, you know, you're not good enough that you need things to make you happy. And of course, when you get something, you do get that dopamine hit, that, that excitement, right? The novelty of stuff. So you move forward thinking that this solves your shit. And I spent a long time 
chasing stuff and building debt and things like that, thinking that things would make me happy. And I've even made the mistake in life of, of giving other people things, thinking that it'll make them happy or that it'll make them value me. And that's not the case. So I don't know. I, I, I gave him the answer, but I also kind of gave him a lot of this, not all of it, but a lot of it saying, I don't know that I really had the best days when I was a kid, but I also recognize that, like I said, because I, I, because none of the people around me had like these, these gratitude practices, which wouldn't have even been terminology at the time, but just, just seeing other people like, you know what, this, that, whatever, you know, yeah, people go, oh, it's a beautiful day today, but, but no, it's like, like, look, you're in a place where everything is good. You're fed. You know what I mean? Like you're, you're expanding your mind and you're able to play and you know, you've got a, a roof over you. Like just things that stop and make your mind. I had, I had cynical people around me that were always complaining about what was wrong with their lives. And that's what was downloaded onto me and projected onto me. So that's, that's the only way they viewed the world most of the time. And so that's the only way that I viewed the world. And I don't think I was able to, to imprint those memories that were probably better than they seemed in that, in that way. I, I was like, again, I, I, I was not, I, like, I felt ashamed to have that as an answer, but it's the truth. You know, I'm not just like, nah, my life sucked. It didn't, it didn't suck, but that's all I felt about it. I don't, I don't have, I had friends. You know what I mean? Like if you said, what, what, what did you, what would you, what do you, what do you remember fondly about your childhood? I remember being able to make my friends in the neighborhood laugh because they were poor too. Not, that's not why they made, were laughing, but I'm saying like I had friends and I was able to make them laugh. But the reason I had friends was because they we were all in the same boat, but I don't remember. I don't remember the best day. I don't remember a string of circumstances that felt like, oh, this is amazing. You know, I remember a few times we went to Canada's wonderland and it made us feel like we were, it was surreal because it was so amazing. You know, now there's kids that live across the street from a theme park that just walk over to and, and whatever, like it's, it's nothing. But again, I'm also, again, the person I am now, the gratitude I have now is that I know that all of those things I experienced made me the person that I am today. It makes me the kind of person who doesn't want to exclude people because nobody knows what their story is or what they're going through. You know, people are more than just what's in their bank account. Uh, fuck, I'd better be. Uh, <laughs> but you know, I don't know. It's. I'm, I'm, I'm grateful for who I am today. I'm grateful for the experiences that I had. Um, I wouldn't change them. I might change some people that I care about very, very much, but, but I can't, and I know I can't. So it's more about just being grateful that, that their involvement in my life has helped me to, to see and learn things. But yeah, it was a, it was a sad, never really thought about it. Right. I have memories, but never really thought about what was the best day. And it just made me feel sad. I'm like, I should, that, that should be something that, you know, when I'm thinking of my fucking top five lists that have nothing to do with anything, you know, just off the top of my head, like three ideas for an answer to it will come right away. You know, and I'm not always concerned, convinced that those three will be the ones that make the list, but I'm like, at least some things come to mind. The only thing that came to mind was that, that, that Christmas. And I barely remember it. It was just that there was pictures in our albums for so long of that, you know, that's the thing too. I'll mention this real quick and then I'll move on. Cause like the, uh, the, I'm way further into time than I am subjects. I, again, I thought I'd have to fill time. Nope. I'm right back to, to having this thing fill. I, I never, we never had like, I don't remember having cameras. I remember disposable cameras, but we never, I don't think we had a camera. We never had a video camera. So like when I'm watching 
documentaries and stuff. I don't know if that this works for you guys at all, or if there's anyone out there who can relate to this, but when I'm watching documentaries and they're showing like, you know, footage of these people from like the sixties or whatever. And it's like, you know, early, maybe it's not the sixties, but like early, you know, footage of these people doing things. If, if I ever achieve anything where someone would want to put together a thing in my life, you're going to have like, I feel like based on all the things that have been damaged and, and stuff over life, I think you're going to have like a dozen photos of me and, and that's it. You're not going to find videotapes. We didn't have a fucking video recorder, camcorder, you know, everyone does now their phone is right. So other people will grow up with those memories. We see, you know, memories of, of videos we took of the kids when they're younger pop up on our, our Facebook feeds and, and, and on the camera reel still like there'll be documenting or there'll be documentation of that. But I, I just, it doesn't, doesn't exist for me. And that's, that makes me feel sad. It makes me feel like there's a big part of my life that is susceptible and subject to my memory of it. And as much as I, I sincerely believe that I would answer everything accurately and, and honestly, I know how hard it is to remember things, you know, like the, the young stuff is like visions blurs. It's not remembering verbatim conversations and, and things like that. So it'd be nice to have some things that sort of show the time. Anyways, I don't know if anyone else out there is like that where you're like, yeah, I don't have a lot of stuff from me. And that's, that's it. It's not that my mom didn't love me. We we were poor. We didn't have the means to take pictures. If, if your choice was taking a picture or, you know, having a better meal, my mom picked a better meal. She was trying to give us a better life. It's just one that isn't particularly well documented. And so it's sad for me to, to think back, Hey, what was the best times then? And it just, I, it was more of a reminder of, of all the things we didn't have. So sorry if I bummed you out, it wasn't my intention. And I, and, you know, said the same thing to them. I'm like, sorry guys, I'm not supposed to be doom and gloom. Like I'm, I'm happy, I think, but I'm, I just, yeah, it was, a, it was, a, it was a tough thing to answer because I didn't have an answer and I, I still think I don't. But I would, you know, Hey, if anyone else wants to reach out through the void, contact at one man podcast.com. Tell me if anything I just said was the slightest bit relatable, you know, are you the kind of person who there's no, there's no fucking footage of you, you know, barely any pictures do, 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 right. Just go on with that. What else we had? We had, <laughs> we had our LTB hearing. It's the landlord tenant board. Yeah. Landlord tenant board of Ontario. I, I will very quick recap when we first moved in here, the landlord hadn't done any of the prep work that was necessary for us to move in. We had to get it done ourselves within like 24 hours of moving here. I had to get some emergency carpet cleaners, things like that. Landlord said that he would pay for it once the, once the invoice came, because I was the one who had to organize everything. Everything was invoiced to me. Landlord refused to pay it. I paid it. I withheld the difference and everything went on from there. It went on the Ed Sheeran tour, all that stuff. And then he was like, you guys haven't, you have to pay your rent in full. That's what the, the wording that he kept saying. You have to pay your rent in full. And, and it was, our thoughts were like, he's referring to the amount we withheld. It turns out they weren't receiving anything because he didn't even give us the correct email address to send our, our rent to. So he filed for an eviction. We have all of our paperwork proving everything. Everyone we spoke to, everything that was going on there, like, you're fine. You're going to be fine. Don't worry about it. You're fine. Just, just make sure you put all this evidence out there, blah, 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 blah. So we had our hearing. I wasn't too, too worried about it, but we spoke to, there was some free legal counsel prior to us being heard. And the, the legal person was just like, Hey, you, you already filed 
some stuff because the landlord wasn't repairing things in the house. And I'm like, yeah. And they're like, your thing was filed first. I said, yes. They said, you're going to have to suggest. So we, we talked to legal counsel first. Then we went into a mediation with the guy where we tried to resolve it. He wouldn't budge on it. In fact, he wouldn't even really let me speak. And the woman who was mediating, while I'm sure she's a nice lady, she wasn't allowing us our side. It was like our, we like, she would let me start to respond, but then she would, she would paraphrase what he was saying and then be like, so do you agree with that? I'm like, no, I go, and here's why I start going, you know, and then he would interrupt and we would let him and I would find, okay, say your thing. And they would just be repeating what he already said. And I'm like, okay, can I talk about this? And she's like, well, it doesn't sound like we're going to get to anything. I'm like, well, sure, but you haven't let me say anything. So it was a little frustrating. I sound like I'm like whining, but it was like, like even Crystal agreed. She's like, yeah, they didn't, they let him speak in, in, in entirety because I guess he was the plaintiff for the eviction thing, but I was first plaintiff about him not doing any of the work, but that's not as, as much of a priority because it's, 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 you can send, you can, you can file for like grievances with your landlord if he just won't do repairs you've asked him for. So you know, when we filed for that, we also have filed a harassment thing, but again, neither of these are as pressing as like a landlord who's not getting his rent at all, which I get, but the legal counsel was like, you guys have to let them know that there's an overlapping issue because your thing has a direct relation to him trying to evict you. So the, the adjudicator was nice. And I, I said the thing, they said, okay, cool. Are, is this the kind of thing? And the, the, the management guy, who's the one trying to evict us, we never met the homeowner. We never had any communication with the homeowner. But the, the adjudicator's like, well, is it, this is the kind of thing, like, do you agree that there's no overlapping issue? And he's like, well, no, I'd like to get this done today. And, and I, she said, well, is there anything of this that, that is related to what the subject we're going to talk about today? And he had to kind of admit that yes. And I was like saying it, it absolutely does. I go, I'm not trying to be out of turn, Madam Chair, but, but the issue is a hundred percent. She's like, is there anything in this that if I make a ruling today on one thing could be like overturned or whatever because of the other? And I go, absolutely. 100%. So she's like, well, then I'm, I'm inclined to adjourn this for a later date. So it's like another three to six months before we have to resolve this issue. And we're like, cool, no problem. We're, we're on board with, with that. And, you know, anyways, it, it was, it was like all day in front of the computer. It wasn't like, oh, we have a meeting at one. We do this thing. You join like a, like a zoom. It's almost like you're sitting in court on zoom in a waiting room. And it's like, we'll just call you into that room once we get to you. So luckily there was time, I think really just the speaking with the, the, the legal counsel and, and the mediator really just helped kill all that time while waiting. So Crystal and I were both in front of our computers that day, just waiting for our turn for our day in court. But I'll let you guys know how much more that goes, but our lease, you know, depending on how everything goes, it's, it's likely that we'll make it to the end of the year before this thing is even you know, scene, which sadly for the homeowner, he's going to wait longer for what he deems to be the missing amount anyways. And then another little anecdotal thing I'll say real quick is uh, I had a really good chat with my buddy, Mike LeBlanc, even though that happened yesterday on Wednesday, which technically is the next week's episode, Mikey and I just had a good chat about what's going on with me and my situation and everything like that. And of course he's a, he's a kindred spirit. He's gone through something similar and we just had a chat that, that I don't want to say too much right now, guys. And, and full, full transparency, because I'm always honest with you might not always be honest with myself, but I, I, I try never to say anything to you that I, I know is not true. The only reason I'm not telling you more about stuff is that some of it has to do with, with, you know, if I get one of these jobs and even sort of more, more one job than the other, I don't want to talk about these jobs. Cause I feel like I might jinx it. And even though I'm just like, you know, there's no such thing as jinxes, whatever. I, I just don't want to, I just want to chance it. 
right? You're not supposed to tell people when you're pregnant until the first trimester is over or something, right? Just to make sure that's, that it takes. But so that's kind of the, the idea. And then of course, because strategically it's more of a strategic thing is that I'm still under the same roof as, as my ex. And for me to put out information as to what I'm thinking and feeling and planning and stuff like that out there where it's accessible, I just don't think is the smartest move right now. So please know that I have lots I'd love to share with you. And if we were sitting at a table, happy to do it. But since it's just out there, I think at the moment, it's smarter for me to just keep my mouth shut, but to let you know, I had a great chat with a friend who I'm going to be spending time with this weekend. And I, I'm very grateful for that time. I was just calling him to tell him, Hey, like I, I scored us like an upgrade at the, at the hotel and the conversation just went on from there, but it was, a, it was a great chat. And it's actually, it's actually made me feel like I have way more options than I originally thought. And, and that's a really, really good feeling because I'm, I'm terrified of just what the future looks like right now. So I'm looking forward to, to having this weekend. I even told them like, you know, Hey, let's not get into too much serious stuff this weekend. Let's just be able to all escape from our, our lives and, and have a good time. But, but it's a great chat. I want to throw it out there that I'm super grateful for Mikey chatting with me. I also, at the end of the day, a lot of these days this week, I just played some, uh, some indie games. I played some games that I downloaded from the PlayStation store. They were cheap. Some of them were like 60 cents or whatever. And I was like, yeah, it's a cool little indie game. I'll throw some money to someone to develop something. And I just played some little, little simple, you know, finish them in under an hour kind of games. And it was fun. It was fun to just turn my brain off and not be Josh Williams for a little while. And, uh, and just, and just play some space shooters. And, and there's one game called gravity duck, which was an interesting concept. Just think super Mario jumping on platforms, except you switch direction from standing on the ground to standing on the ceiling. And then these things will, you know, make you stand on walls. It was fascinating. It was just a, like a puzzle of how do you get to the end of the level by swapping gravity and stuff like that. Great, great little game. And then finally, like I was, while I was playing some of these games, I was chatting with my buddy, Chad, a regular mention on the podcast, my friend, Chad, and there's this thing you can do on the PlayStation where you can share your screen with someone else. So while you're playing your game, you can kind of tack their, their screen up in the corner or somewhere or somewhere on the screen. You just pin it like picture in picture. And Chad was going to play this new game. And I'm like, well, I'm finishing something that I'm playing right now, but I'm like, but I'll happily like watch the intro and stuff with you. Like, you know, so just, you know, I don't have to play it. If you're playing it, I'll just watch you play while I do this monotonous thing on the side. And I don't even remember the name of the game, but, he, but it was like a lot of talking and talking and talking and talking, which I don't have a problem with. But I just remember like feeling like it was up there for like an hour and I was like super bored. And I was chatting with Chad the next day and he's like, yeah, like the game started to get good like later on. But yeah, that first part was slow. And I just remember talking to him about hooks, you know, like a, like a hook in a, in a, in a game or in a movie. I'm like, yeah, the game just like a lot of games, if it's going to be an action game or something, will usually give you a bit of a taste of it at the beginning just to say like, Hey, this game's going to be X, Y, and Z. So like, you know, get right into it. And then of course, then it'll slow down and start to get you back on track and, and teach you everything slowly. But it, but it did that big scene at the beginning to kind of, to kind of get you excited, right? That then they, you know, it's a hook. It's the same in movies where a movie will open up with a huge scene that just kind of gives you an idea where we're going. But like, you know, now we got to start over and build some characters and stuff. But that first scene is like, wow, that's fucking, I'm in it. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm in for this. And then, you know, in the industry, it's just, it's called a hook. So 
different than hooks in the music industry. I think the hook in the music industry is like the, the thing that's the catchiest and the thing that gets you, you know, repeating. That's the thing that's going to come to your mind the most. I think that's the hook. I think I learned that in Hustle and Flow when it was like, what's the hook? It's like, yo, beat, well, whoop that trick, get him, whoop that trick. So, so my point is that I, I was chatting with Chad about that. And then I was giving some examples of like, you know, hooks in, in movies and stuff. And just saying that game, I think if it was good, it would have done, if it was going to have an hour of just chatting and not much going on, it could have done with a better hook. I was referring to certain games cause I'm, I'm not, I want to burn any cause I feel like I might do a top five on it uh, at some point, but I was just giving you some examples of games that will get you excited. I was recently playing God of World, God of War 2, Ragnarok. I think it's just called God of War Ragnarok. And the very, very beginning, you're in a chase scene. You just, you just zoom in on the characters already mid chase and, you know, these things going on. And it was like, it just right away throws you into the action. And then the game slows down and starts to give you some story and some context and things go slow. But it's like, but it gave you action to hook you. The Spider-Man 2 game has got you fighting Sandman, big city fucking fight, you know, right off the bat. And then it really slows down, but it was there, right? It, it hooks you with like, look how much action this could have. So yeah, I was chatting with him about that. It was just a fun conversation and, and that will lead us to the top five this week, but I'll, I'll get back to that in a second. I do have, where is it? I got, I got, do I have anything else here? I wanted to read the email from my buddy, Rich, cause Rich sent an email earlier this week. In answer to my question, I was saying like, Hey, where did I say the two is one and one is next? I'm like, I know I talked about it in the podcast, but it's not in my list. So thank you, Rich, for messaging me. Hey, Joshy, great to see you drop a new episode so regularly. Would hate to see you become a lazy fuck. Funny. Too late. You asked about men mentioning and saying the one is more, sorry. So, so, so the two is one and one is none, but he called it one is none. Two is one. Uh, I believe you mentioned that one in episode. Oh, weird. There is no episode number. What the episode with the Greek guy who speaks English, Ephemios. I don't know why you would say the Greek guy who speaks, who speaks. Oh, right. Because his album was don't worry. I don't worry. Speaks English. Good, good call. It's a joke. Not, not an ignorance. Okay. Yes. If the meals, I'm looking for the clip, but I can't find it. I thought it was right before you dedicated another 45 minutes to talking about the last of us. Not sure. Again, great to see so much content dropping. Keep it up, brah. Thank you, Rich. And Rich is also one of the guys who's coming to Chicago with me this weekend. So it'd be great. So, so that's probably, that's why it makes sense that I dropped the quote, but, but it wasn't the quote of the week which is the two is one, one is none. And I must've said it with the Thimios, which makes total sense. Rich, thank you for doing that because I would have been going, what the fuck did I say that? I don't remember. I know I said it, but so yeah. And that's how crazy I am. I will like, I'll obsess about something, you know, won't be the only thing. It'll just be sitting in my brain. Like, like something's missing. Like I've got a sock half off of my foot, you know, that's just the way it feels like you got to fix it. You got to just got a soft sock half. Your foot. I can't fix it. How do I live my life like this? So yeah, we're going to jump right into, thank you for the email, buddy. Uh, anyone else wants to send an email, contact at onemanpodcast.com. I will totally take it. I will also, I'm going to do the quote of the week before we move into the top five. The quote of the week was one that I heard recently and I love it. Never heard it before in my life. I love it, love it, love it, love it. It's sometimes you'll find yourself in a dark place. It's up to you if it's a burial or a planting. And I love that. Because it's absolutely true. When you're in a dark place, it's a perfect opportunity for you to see it as a, an opportunity for growth. You know, some people will be like, oh, it's the end. Everything's over. It's so dark. Yeah. Yeah. It could be a burial, but it could be growth. It could be a planting. So I love, I love that statement. It's, it, it's giving me something to anchor my perspective to is that things are bad, but I, I'm, I can lose weight. I can improve myself as a person. I can save money. I can try to make decisions that are going to better me. I can start working on things again. Something Mikey did say to me 
that I'll share with you guys, which was, he said, you know how I know you and Crystal broke up again? And I was like, how? He's like, because you're doing stand up again. And he, he says to me, every time you break up with her, you're, you're, you're back on the scene. You're, you're spending more time on, on stand up and, and being funny and, and spending time with the community and stuff like that. And he goes, that only happens when you're not with Crystal. And, and he's right. Like my, my knee jerk was to defend and go, well, you know, like I'm, I don't work hard on stand up, but I'm, I'm starting to learn that, that, that I, I spent focuses on other things and I'm learning why. In fact, I saw something today, which is for next week's episode, but I saw something today that I recorded. It was a long, long piece of information. I recorded it. It resonated deeply with me. It was just something I found while scrolling through Facebook, but it made, it spoke to me. It made, it was 100% accurate to my situation. I recorded the audio and I have sent an email to ask them if they're cool with me sharing it with you guys. If I don't hear anything from them in a week's time, I will share regardless. But because if you're going to put it out there on social media for people to see and share with each other, I don't see why me playing the audio would, would be harmful, but I was just trying to be respectful, but it resonated. And so again, just more stuff to work with personally to continue being a strong person. None of this is funny. None of this is funny. Sorry guys. Yeah. Working on that. So quote of the week, sometimes you'll find yourself in a dark place up to you if it's a burial or a planting. And let me tell you guys, I am planted. Oh, the growth and not just my waistline from the pizzas. So I'll let you know, as usual, I'll tell you what's going on with me. We're going to, we're going to get to it, but an hour and six minutes in, I'm blown away that I've actually spent this much time on the podcast. Top five this week, guys, is my top five movie openings. So in terms of these hooks that I'm talking about, where you watch a movie and right from the, right from the get go, you're like, fuck, I am, I am in for this. This, this has given me what I need to be on board for the movie. And I came up with a bunch on my own. But of course, sometimes I'm like, you know, maybe there's something that slipped my mind and maybe I'll agree. Usually I'm inclined to believe that whatever my first instinct in must be my favorites because otherwise, why wouldn't the other ones come to mind right away? Like these must be my favorites because they come to mind first. So I often go with those, but I do like to give some honorable mentions too, because sometimes the other stuff might actually be more more proper interpretation for you guys listening as opposed to the shit that I, I found to be my favorite. So I want to give some honorable mentions of what I'm referring to is movies that just hook you right from the get go. For starters, the movie Jaws came out in the seventies and you see zero shark in that first scene, right? You know, the one, two couples drinking, they chase each other. Let's go skinny dipping that opening scene from Jaws. If you don't know it, I can't help you Google it, but that was pure. Like you could barely see anything. It's just the music and her response to what's happening that sell that opening scene. But it lets you know that even though you're a hot fucking minute away from seeing a shark, it, it really set the tone for what that movie was going to be about. And, uh, and in the seventies, no less. So a perfect example of how you could scare the shit out of people without having to show them the bad guy. Another one, this came up on many lists. I don't, like I, I certainly thought of it. This was actually one of the examples I thought of while I was talking with Chad, but the opening from Ghostbusters, the original Ghostbusters, right? Just who are these guys who just show up at a, you know, the, the, the opening scene is the woman running through the, the library. Right. And that's the thing too, where I have to kind of ask myself, what is the opening scene? Is it just until the, the title card shows? Cause a lot of times the title card shows before the movie's even done. And then there's, there's, you know, credits at the beginning. But for me, I'm like, I'm like, I'll give you context to where I feel like the opening scene is to me. The opening scene is when the ghost chases them out of the, the library. But technically, you know, if one could argue that the opening scene was the librarian walking around the aisles when, you know, behind her, the, 
the, the, the, what do you call it? The, the, the Dewey decibel system, the cards are f- the, the, the index cards are flying out of the thing, right? Just spitting out. And that was like for the, for 1984, which probably filmed in 1983, that was like a hell of a feat for practical effects to have cards flying out. And then she's running, you know, she starts to get scared, she starts running around and then she turns a corner and there's a big bright light in her face and her hair's blowing. You see nothing yet. And then just right. You get the Ghostbusters tune come in like that's boom. That would be one that's arguing that that's, that's the opening scene. So very cool effects and very like, what did she see? We haven't seen it yet. Right. But then five minutes later, you see it yourself in the, in the, the library when they talk to it. Right. I got, I got the plan guys. All right. Stay close. Stay close. Stay on me now. So get her. Like, it's just great. I mean, that's even that, I would say that's the opening scene of just the seeing the ghost, whatever, but either, or either of those two scenes is a good hook to get you. And it's supposed to be a comedy movie. And it's like, look at these special effects and stuff. It was, it was a good, good opening. Another one that I, I really like, but it didn't make my list only because the stuff that did was just much more for me is, is Goodfellas. I love the first line out of, out of their mouth. I mean, even though there's kind of a little bit of chatting in the car at the beginning, when they pull over, they open the, the, the trunk, Billy Batts is in there. The first narrated line of the movie, right? The, the first thing that you can really kind of grab and, 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 and use is as far back as I can remember, I always wanted to be a gangster. And then, you know, the music starts to me, that's the opening that scene. Boom. Goodfellas. It's that in and of itself was not enough of a hook for me the first time I watched it. But if you extend your concept of opening the youthful, youthful part of the movie where he's just a kid, right? That first 10 minutes where he's, I was a kid, you know, they knew what happened at that cab stand. You know, my dad was pissed off because we were so poor. My dad was pissed off because my kid brother, Mikey was in a chair. He was most, you know, he was pissed off because blah, 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 blah. But mostly he was pissed off because I worked at the cab stand. He knew what went on there and, you know, and he didn't want me to be a part of it. So every now and again, I'd have to take a beating, but I didn't mind. By then I was like, everybody takes a beating sometimes or whatever. Anyways, uh, like those, th- that part of the movie with, with his childhood or whatever, like to me, that's, that's an extended version of the intro. So I wouldn't even be like intro a intro B. Right. And then finally for my, for my honorable mentions, right. These are not even the ones on my list. These are just the honorable mentions is, is Pulp Fiction and Pulp Fiction doesn't make it on there because I've got some other Tarantino stuff on there that I can make a better argument for. But that doesn't mean that, that, the dialogue in the diner at the beginning of Pulp Fiction is not an awesome fucking scene, especially when they just fucking jump right into shit. It's great. So those are some examples, but there's tons of them. There's lots of them I saw online that I I don't agree with being the best. And then there was a lot of movies that I've just never seen. So I can't argue yay or nay. So again, my top fives are my opinions, not what I think are, should be the top five of all time. Just my personal top five movie hooks, right? The movie opening. So Number five is one that not made it to zero people's list, but I really, really, really liked it was the opening for the movie, the rundown with the rock. And here's why is at the very beginning of that movie, the rock is showing up to a nightclub and he walks in the door. This was the rocks first solo. This was, I think this was the rocks very first leading role in a movie And I'm going to take a second here and see if I can corroborate my claim because I know that the rocks, like, I think that the first 
movie The Rock was actually in was The Scorpion King, or actually The Mummy Returns or whatever the the name of that one. Dwayne The Rock Johnson. I'm actually enjoying having a desktop computer now because I can just pull shit up you know, when I'm, when I want to. So I'm going to click on the rock, but like I said, I think that the rundown was his first, uh, leading role because he started doing them all over the place. And he did do some bit parts uh, or at least some supporting roles. Jesus Christ. The guy's been active forever. So is this one where he's plays self do, 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 sorry, gang doom. he was the, the role that's 2005 walking tall. So I see the scorpion King on here where, ah, fuck, that was 2002. Rundown is 2003. So the mummy returns. He, he had a no non-speaking role. Cause he never said anything. They just kind of used his physique to play this, like, you know, Egyptian guy, but I don't star Trek Voyager. He played the champion as the rock. So star Trek Voyager had him on there, but again, that's a supporting role and literally him playing himself. So I'm going to say that, that the scorpion King Here's why I don't think it counts. <laughs> I need it to not count for my purpose, of course, my argument, but the Scorpion King was a, was a movie based on the fact that he was a supporting character in the mummy return. So it wasn't like, Hey, let's give this guy a, a movie of his own. The rundown came out to me. That's his first leading role of, of a company taking a chance on him based on, you know, just see if this guy can, can lead a movie. Then it was like walking tall and he was a supporting character and be cool and leading dooms. And then boom, 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 boom. And the rest is history. But in the rundown, he walks into a club and at the very beginning of the movie, as he's walking down the hallway to go into the club, Arnold Schwarzenegger passes by him and says, have fun. And then walks away. And that was it. And a lot of people said that that was like a great scene, a great shot because Arnold Schwarzenegger was, was not doing action movies. I think he was still the governor of California at the time, or at least was, was just coming out of that role. And so he's, he's kind of done his action movies, you know, at least that's, that's the, the vibe that they're getting. And it was almost like Arnold Schwarzenegger was passing the torch to the rock. Like he sees this guy as an opportunity to, to be doing action movies. And it's like, Hey, have fun, which he clearly is right. He's doing all this shit. He's doing comedy. He's doing everything. He's great. He's very charismatic. And I love the rock, but he walks into the club and he approaches this group of, of NFL players. And there's this cool little kind of thing where he's talking to a guy and, and he's getting the, the info and the detail on each guy. Oh, this guy's so-and-so blah, blah, blah. And it's, and it shows like a little kind of like a little stats card of the guy come up and describe who he is and what he is. And, and he's just like sort of taking this, this visual inventory of who all is there. And then he walks up to the, to the, the guys and says, Hey man, you know, I'm here from Mickey, whatever. And the guy's like, well, sorry, what? And he's like, yeah. I, you know, you owe him a lot of money. He's, you haven't been answering his calls, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Tell him I'll be there on Monday. All right. He's like, okay. Yeah. He's like, yeah, I'll be there on Monday. He goes, uh, listen, I'm going to need some collateral. He's like, what? He's like, I'm going to need the ring, right? Like it's like a super bowl ring or whatever the fuck. And he's like, what did you say? And he starts to, you know, like get out of here, whatever. And I think he throws like a drink in the rock's face or some shit or whatever, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, get out of here. And the rock kind of like, you know, I, I don't want to say sheepishly, but he just without, without any kind of attitude or anything like that just sort of like, like walks away and then he goes into the bathroom and then you, you hear him on, he's on the phone. He's like, make it, can we do this another time, please? He's like, I just, can it be another time? Like I just, there's a dude, the entire offensive line is here. The whole, yes, the whole offensive line. He's like, they have a legitimate chance of repeating. I do not want to hurt them. And you're like, oh shit. Like he's not scared of, of losing this fight. He's, he's worried about hurting this fucking team so that they can't, you know? And so it's like, all right hangs up the phone, like, you know, and he kind of looks in the mirror and just boom, like just this 
instant game face goes on. He goes back and he kicks the shit out of these guys, John Wick style, 10 years before John Wick, right? In fact, we're doing 2002. Is that where we're going with for the rundown? 2003. And I'm just going to get us a number on John. And I mean, like, like, not like, oh, John Wick, like, it was lighting everything like that, very similar to the John Wick movies. So John Wick 2014. So, so yes, 11 years before John Wick, the rock has this scene with the flashing lights and the fucking boom, boom, boom beats the shit out of these guys. Bang the rundown. And then the movie slows incredibly. In fact, I would even go as far to say that there is not another scene in the movie as good as that opening. But that was a scene where you're like, I am fucking in let's go. Great opening to movie. Number five, my pick the rundown. Number four scream. Scream was a great intro movie. Drew Barrymore's, you know, what's your favorite scary movie, right? That, that scene set the pace for the movie. What you can expect. This is now a faceless killer, right? We're, we're talking, we're talking Wes Craven. So Freddy Krueger movies, right? Wes Craven stuff where, where Freddy was, was the kind of killer that would talk to you, but he'd be cracking jokes and stuff like that, but he would destroy you and everything very supernatural. When it came to like killers, I've even said in the past, I've talked on the podcast about how like a, a faceless killer who talks is, is less scary than a faceless killer who doesn't, right? Because at least like the faceless killer who talks, you know what he's thinking, you know what he's doing. Like there's, there, there's more understanding. If they don't talk, you don't know what the fuck their motive is. You don't know what they're thinking. You don't like, it's just, it's just this thing wants to kill me. And the thing with this, the, with, with ghost face, which is what he's called, like the, 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 the the, the faceless villain until he's re- faceless villain, the faceless killer until he's revealed at the end of the movie for whatever the actual character's name is, is always called Ghostface, And he talks that what's your favorite scary movie and the torment and, and, and everything like that. So he'll talk to you and almost as if he's on your side initially. And I don't mean that like, once you know, it's Ghostface, you know, it's Ghostface. but every movie has got that scene where someone thinks they're talking to Ghostface and it's just one of their friends pulling a prank or something. But the idea is the character always doesn't kind of, you know, know at first that this is ghost face and this person means ill. And then, you know, how the conversation changes that opening conversation of scream. You'd never seen the movie before. You'd never seen any of them where you get this call and it's like, who is this? Whatever. Like the only thing even close to that would be from the movie when a stranger calls and I never, it actually never made anybody's list that I saw online. And I'm just thinking of it now, which is that classic one that have you checked the children? Have you checked the children? Right. Just keep telling, have you checked the children? Stop calling me. You're scaring me. Whatever. Call the cops, man, we've traced the call. It's coming from inside the house. You know what I mean? Like, you know, you have to be careful because he's been trying to get you to go upstairs so we can kill you like that classic one. Right. So with scream, it was the whole, I'm just talking to somebody and it's an innocent conversation. You got the wrong number, you know, until that, that moment where he's like, you know, why do you want to know my name? Cause I want to know who I'm looking at. What? Right. And everything changes. I, I want to know who I'm talking to. It's not what you said. What do you think I said? Like, and it just goes fucking South. Right. So the beginning of scream is, is, and, and you're in the person's home. That's the thing too. You've, you've already breached the, 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 the home. Cause now you're inside, you're on the phone, they're in their home and you've scared them inside. Just a great opening. It's been so many movies have tried to replicate that kind of thing. Since every screen movie tries to outdo themselves with that opening scene every time it's never been as effective as the first one, but that first screen movie, the opening to that movie was a perfect job of, of setting the, the pace for the movie. Number three, watch this movie early nineties. When it came out, reservoir dogs, Quentin Tarantino, the scene at the diner 
before the title card when Little Green Bag plays. They're just talking about Like a Virgin from Madonna and why Mr. Pink doesn't tip. It is an entire scene where it is just a conversation. It has nothing to do with the movie. None, none of the plot is affected by their conversation. But it's like it's like a good 12 minutes long, maybe longer, and you're just listening to guys talk about what a song means and then one guy why he doesn't tip. And it's just, and, and I saw this when I was, well, I did, probably didn't see it right in 1991 or whatever. I think it came out in 91 or 92, but it was, I, I would have been maybe 12, maybe 11 when this movie first came out. And when I was watching it and I'm like, for, for me, somebody with ADD who was at a buddy's house, we watched it at my friend Aaron's house and his dad rented it. He's like, Hey guys, stop playing video games. We're going to watch a movie. And I don't know why he picked this movie for kids, but uh, well, not for kids, but he picked it. His dad was a big cinephile. His dad, I, this was the guy who had the big screen TV and laser discs for the period of time that they like. So like good system set up everything. And I was like, so I'm like, I'm ADD. I don't care about, about talking in movies and I don't care. I want to go play. I want to go back and play video games, but the scene was fascinating enough. And I just remember after I saw that movie, I fucking loved the movie. I was quoting the, the intro and, and all those parts of that thing. So for a movie you know, when I was that young to do it. And it was Quentin Tarantino's first, as far as I know, I don't think, I think he may have been a producer or a co-writer or something, but for his, his directorial debut on Reservoir Dogs to open your movie with a conversation or two conversations about fucking nothing has to do with your plot and have it being that like compelling or whatever, which really sets the tone for Tarantino movies where you, where you will just watch him do a scene where people are just talking and you're like, I'm fucking in it. The Royale with cheese. You're like, did we just watch John Travolta and Samuel L. Jackson talk about fucking, you know, Royale with cheese and, and foot massages. And at no point did I want that scene to end because it was going nowhere. You know what I mean? Like, so number three, Reservoir Dogs, the intro, I was, even though it had nothing to do with the rest of the movie, I was, I was like, all right, let's fucking watch this. Number two, also one that I did not see end up on anybody's list. The opening scene for Saving Private Ryan. The beach scene coming off the beach. What the fuck is going on? That was one of the most intense scenes I've ever seen from a war movie. It was like 90, 95 or 96 when that movie came out. It was one of the most graphic war movies. I saw a full metal jacket later and I, you don't see, like, I don't even remember seeing any squibs going off when people were getting shot where it's like, you know, those blood packs that, that blow up. I don't remember seeing anything like that. This scene's got guys laying on the beach, holding their intestines on crying for their mothers. Like this was an, like a very visceral and, and real sort of feeling war scene. And it just, and again, it set the tone for what you were going to get through the rest of this movie. It was super, super intense and, and fucking crazy. And I, I, the only movie I ever remember being like that graphic with war scenes prior to it was Braveheart. I remember watching Braveheart, which is a movie I still love. doesn't have a particularly compelling opening scene, but in Braveheart, like watching guys just swing an ax and chop a dude's leg right off and then hit a guy in the head with a, with an ax and just seeing blood coming out of the helmet, like just to see all of the, the graphic shit of war. I was like, holy fuck. And then I've, I've said to people before, I'm like, I don't really remember seeing anything too graphic before that. There's, there's movies that are said to be more, more graphic than it, but, but like in terms of war, like combat scenes, Braveheart was the first one where it's like, you see arrows piercing guys and guys getting stabbed with, you know, like the, when, when the two front lines collide to each other and start fighting and everything, just all that shit was insane. And then I'm like, I, I feel like two years later, you know, Saving Private Ryan was doing that stuff. And I'm, I, I kind of personally, I credit Braveheart with that level of, of 
authentic war scenes instead of it being kind of like, you know, choreographed fencing with, with swords and clang, clang, clang. And, oh, there's the, I stabbed you through the armpit. So it looks like I stabbed you through the chest, like that kind of shit. You know, I, I, this was like, holy fuck. They just, that, that guy's leg just got chopped off and this thing happened to that guy. Those horses just got stabbed with the fucking poles and all this shit. So yeah. So, but, but in terms of opening, that opening scene in Saving Private Ryan was so intense and again, like I, I, it's a great movie regardless, but that opening scene really lets you know what you're about to see. And finally, my favorite opening to a movie, again, because of just the conversation, the tone, whatever is Inglorious Bastards, that opening scene, again, another Tarantino movie on my list, who's definitely established himself as a guy who can just write dialogue that you're, you're in it for. And that opening scene where Hans Landa, played by Christoph Waltz, just sits down with the farmer, Monsieur Lapardi. He speaks French and English. I don't believe he speaks German in that scene, but he sits down and that conversation about harboring fugitives and fuck the way he's, the way he makes him seem like he's there for a social, well, not a social call, but like, you know, oh, I'm just, I'm just trying to make sure, like, I just, we're just closing some, some parts of the, the fact that he knows why he's there and the, the, the darkness of the scene and how it just the intimidation. And this is an actor I've never seen before. This is not like you show up and you're like, oh, we've got Morgan Freeman portraying something or, or fucking Dustin Hoffman or, you know, who's another amazing actor, just the, the range of Leonardo DiCaprio who later joined, you know, Tarantino's ranks. This was like, this was a, a, a guy that nobody really knew in America comes in, steals the show with that scene. And just like, when that scene's over, you're like, fuck this is terrifying as as terrifying as it must have been at the time just having you know having that shit happening so for me top five opening of a movie of all time inglorious bastards unbelievable unbelievable fucking opening to a movie and and he just can it just continues along way i don't think any of these movies with the oh, i have the rundown the rundown did fall off for me in kind of a big way but but that opening scene was still amazing. That, that scene was John Wick well be- 10 years before John Wick. That's my list. Number five, Rundown. Number four, Scream. Number three, Reservoir Dogs. Number two, Saving Private Ryan. Number one, Inglorious Bastards with those honorable mentions. And number four, what is your top five? What are the top five movie, like intros, openings, hooks, whatever you want to call it, that that you found? Contact at onemanpodcast.com. Love to hear it. Love to pl- plug the factor meals. If you guys are interested in doing factors, meal kits that are already ready, delivered fresh, you just throw them in the oven or the microwave. Check out the link in the description. You can get yourself, I believe it's 80 bucks off of, off of an order. I'm not hundred percent sure, but the, the, but check out the, uh, the link. It'll tell you exactly what the discount is. And it kicks some money. I always appreciate that reminder that hilarious bastards, not inglorious bastards, hilarious bastards is taking place June 1st and Collingwood. I'll have more details for that soon. Post stuff when it's ready. Um, I will be headlining Moose McGuire's on Monday coming up this week. So get your tickets at absolutecomedy.ca or call the club. And this weekend, I'm going to, to Chicago for my buddy Paul Verzi's Netflix taping. The first first taping he did was for Comedy Central, and the episode interview with him was uh, the night after he recorded that. Sadly, his second special and his first for Netflix was during the pandemic. Borders were closed. I was not able to go and support, but I'm going for this one. I'm going with my buddy Mike LeBlanc, who I had a wonderful conversation with, my buddy Richard No, who is is the, the the guy who sent the email this week and also a buddy of mine who I'm going to have on the podcast soon. My buddy Mika, who's a good friend of mine. I got a bonus episode with him and I honestly didn't think Mika would be available for this because he's a family guy. He's got all sorts of responsibilities, but luckily he was able to just come on a weekend trip. Most of my shit's like kind of longer, but, uh, but he had the time for this. I'm so excited. So I'm going to have a wonderful weekend with a bunch of great dudes. Couldn't possibly be more excited for, uh, for this. I'm really, really excited. 
guys, I truly am. I appreciate you being here. Feel free to send me anything that you want. We'll talk about it. I'd love to know what's going on with you guys. But in the meantime, hope you have the best week ever. And I look forward to chatting with you again soon. Went out one night to make a little round. I met little Sadie and I shot her down. Went back home, jumped into bed. 44 pistol under my head. I woke up in the morning about half past nine. The hacks and the buggy standing in line. Gents and gamblers standing around. Taking little Sadie to bury in the ground. Judge and the jury, they took their stand. Judge had the papers in his right hand. 